The reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 to 22, page 968 in the Church Bible. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Well, for the last few weeks we have been looking at the question, why did Jesus come? Why did he come into such a messed up world as ours? And ultimately the answer to that question is that he came to deal with the problems of this world by establishing a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. He came with power, came with authority. Power and authority over sickness, over death, over evil, over nature, and of course over the root cause of all our problems. He came with the authority to forgive sins. And we saw the people he came for were those who are humble, those who are willing to acknowledge their need for his mercy and forgiveness. Not those who thought that by their righteous acts they could somehow make themselves right with God. Subjects of this kingdom, therefore, are those who have submitted their lives to the true King, Jesus Christ. Those who want to have their lives changed into his likeness. At the moment, it's not a a physical kingdom we see, it's a, a spiritual kingdom. But when Jesus comes again, he will recreate the heavens and the earth and gather his subjects to live in a perfect world. And so not only did Jesus come to make it possible for us to have access to his kingdom, but he also came to prepare us for life in that kingdom. 
And he did that in the first instance by taking 12 uh, quite average blokes and trained them and led them by example. In other words, he discipled them. And he left them with the task to build his church after he had ascended into heaven. But it took three years before these disciples were ready for that. When they started out, they were pretty raw material. Far from the sort of material you'd expect to make a good apprentice. Actually, probably more like the sort of people you'd expect to see on the TV programme, the, the apprentice. People who would make mistakes. People who were quite slow at times to pick up what Jesus was telling them. So what was it then that Jesus taught them that can help us now to know what it means to follow Jesus? That's the question we're going to be looking at over the next uh, few weeks in this sermon series. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow him? Or actually, what does it mean to be a better disciple of Jesus? Because at the end of the day, even if we are already Christians, even if we've been Christians for many years, we are all still followers, we're all still learners. And that process goes on, however mature we may be. As we look at different aspects of what it means to follow Jesus, we're going to be concentrating on one particular disciple, that is Peter. Peter was the one to whom Jesus said when he first met him, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. You will be strong, you will be reliable, someone in whom I can build my church. But it will take a while before you become that person of maturity. At the moment you're still a bit impetuous, a bit impulsive, and there needs to be a great change that takes place in you. And the great thing about looking at Peter is that all of us see different aspects of ourselves in him. <coughs> He's a real human character with real human character flaws. And there's something almost quite reassuring, isn't there, about seeing somebody make a mess of things that makes you think, well, maybe I'm not quite as bad as I thought I was. But it's like watching programmes like um, well, The Apprentice or, or Britain's Got Talent in the early stages when these people come on stage and make a complete hash. As we see how Peter learns, hopefully we will take great encouragement that God, by his grace too, can work a change in us, that he can make us the disciples he wants us to be. Because Christian life is not easy. There will be disappointments along the way, discouragements. But it's those discouragements and disappointments that mould us into these people that he does want us to be. The aspects of discipleship we'll be looking at in the next few weeks we'll find in the middle section of Matthew's Gospel. But we're going to start today by going back to chapter 4 and looking at this passage which Jill read for us, and looking at the aspect of leaving behind. What is it we are called to leave behind as followers of Jesus Christ? Well, let's have a look at this, this passage. We should point out that this account is actually recorded in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, and it's, it's actually different in each one. <laughs> Luke is the longest one of the three, and there we're told that Simon and his colleagues have been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. But um, Jesus tells them to cast their nets once more. And a bit reluctantly they, they agree to do that and they, they haul in this great catch of fish. And it's that 
amazing miracle that makes Simon Peter here just fall at Jesus' knees and say, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. So Matthew's account is very much a shortened account of this. It doesn't say as much, but what it does say is quite important for us. So let's have a look at it. It's interesting that, um, first of all, that Jesus chose four fishermen to be his disciples. You might think a bit of a gamble, taking four fishermen. Um, you know, you could have chosen maybe four high-flying graduates to, to take on your apprenticeship scheme. But no, we're told in the Bible that it says in 1 Corinthians, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. But what's important, I think, for us this morning is not why he chose these four men, but what was their response to his calling. And what we see, first of all, for both Peter and Andrew and James and John is that their response is immediate. Verse 20, it says for Peter and Andrew that once they left their nets and followed him. For James and John, in verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It does make you think there must have been something quite amazing about Jesus for them to simply leave everything immediately and follow him. They were leaving everything behind. They had their nets, their boats, and in the case of James and John, their father, Zebedee. But these things have a real significance and a real relevance for us here today. And there are three implications of this leaving behind that I think this passage teaches us today. And the first of those is that following Jesus means leaving behind our independent spirit. These fishermen, what they were giving up at the end of the day was their means of living, their, their livelihood, their economic security. I wonder what they thought they were going to live on. I wonder if they realised that um, what this would mean is that Jesus would send them out later. And if you flick on to um, chapter 10 of Matthew, look at chapter 10, verse 9. This is what he tells them later on. He says, do not take any, along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. You know, no secret stashes of money. He says, take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. Basically, they would have to rely on handouts which when they were used to being men of independent means would be quite humbling. I must admit, I in many ways had the same experience when I gave up uh, my previous job and went into ministry. You know, if I'm honest, there was a part of me previously that thought, you know, uh, being a part of a previous church, you know, I'm happy to give to the church, I'm happy to, to serve in the church, but it's sort of on my terms, it has to sort of fit around me and my availability. After all, the church is quite fortunate to have me as one of their members, isn't it? Of all the time able to give. And to move from that situation of independent financial well-being, effectively a net giver, to being fully dependent on the generosity of the members of the church here is actually quite humbling, but also very healthy, because it's easier to acknowledge that you are dependent very much on God. You're not dependent on yourself. And I'm sure there are missionaries... Um, uh, and church workers here this morning who will have the same 
experience. But in some ways, it's not just for us. It's actually the same for all of us here. We should all be in the same boat. Because although following Jesus doesn't mean that we all give up our jobs and sell everything and go into full-time ministry, we should all acknowledge that we are no longer the ones who are responsible for our economic security. Everything we have belongs to God. And so what we are doing, we are giving up ownership of it. You know, we are saying that that comes from God anyway. He is the one who ensures that I still have a job at this time, that the company I'm working for is not yet bankrupt. So really, it belongs to him. I'm just managing that for him. It also means that we don't have to think that we have to take full control of our situation. That unless we work 80 hours a week, we are going to go under. It is trusting that God will provide. And trusting that even if we have to survive on not very much, even if we have to survive in a period of quite great anxiety, the uncertainty of where we will be living and working next week, that God is with us through that. He will help us get through that time. <clears throat> Independence is very much the spirit of the age in which we live and sadly that has crept into the church, particularly into independent churches like our own. Churches that feel maybe they don't need the support of other churches. But if we are called into God's kingdom, it is a real privilege and we follow God on his terms and not on our own even behind our independent spirit. Well, secondly, following Jesus means leaving behind our comfort zones, which we touched on earlier with the children. <coughs> if we look at um, what <coughs> excuse me, Jesus uh, says to Simon Peter and his brother when he calls him, he calls him to do a certain task. He says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people, fish for men, fish for people. It's unlikely that they would have known exactly what that meant. You know, I'm fishing, I'm a fisherman, but fish for people? But I'm sure they would have realised there was actually something much more significant in fishing for people than fishing for fish. And what they would discover in due course was that this, this hugely important task to which Jesus was calling them would involve them, instead of drawing up fish from the, the depths of the lake drawing people from the depths of spiritual darkness into the light. They would be bringing people into contact with the living God, which of course is the task for all of us if we are Christians here this morning, in whichever situation God has placed us, to bring people into contact with the living God. Jesus is not saying that this is something I would expect you to be able to do immediately. He says, I will, he says, I will literally, I will make you fish for people I will teach and train you to be able to do it. I'll give your, you my spirit to enable you to do that. And that will mean you have to learn from me. That will mean you have to follow my example. And it wasn't just the fact that they um, gave up their livelihoods. They gave up probably all they knew in their lives. They're fishing. They gave that up in order to go and do something which they'd never done before. They didn't have a clue what was involved in it. They were being asked to leave behind their comfort zone. And what was drawing them to do that was not the promise of wealth or satisfaction or security. 
It was the authority of this new king, Jesus. James and John didn't just leave behind their jobs, they left behind their father. It doesn't mention their mother, maybe she was no longer alive. And that would have been very tough for them. Now what this is not saying is that when you become a follower of Jesus, you simply ditch your family and leave them in the lurch. No, if we read the accounts actually in Luke, what it says there is that they had also hired men working for them. So it wasn't just that the family business consisted of James and John and their father. There were others, and presumably they could have hired others as well. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about um, uh, Jesus uh, in going around healing people, we, we came across Peter taking him to heal his mother-in-law. So again, Peter was looking after his family. He didn't walk out on his family responsibilities when he followed Jesus. And there will be times when we do have family members who are totally dependent on us and we have to give up a previous area of ministry in which we're involved in order to care for them. And that in itself is Christian ministry. There's nothing less important about it. It's just different. Now let me also say that when we talk about leaving behind our comfort zones, Jesus doesn't automatically expect us to live a life of discomfort. You know, there are many blessings that God gives us to enjoy on this earth. Our families, our, our friends, our leisure pursuits, our holidays, our belongings. But the point here is it is possible to retreat into those things, into our homes, into our families, into the things we enjoy doing and give them priority <coughs> over what God wants us to do. And he wants us to come out of those comfortable zones and to trust him that he knows what he is doing to do his ministry, to enable people to come into contact with the living God. For those who used to come here, people who were very comfortable coming here every Sunday morning, they, a lot of them decided to go and join Cornerstone in Tame. And that required a sacrifice for them. That meant instead of uh, turning up here at church at uh, 10.29 on a Sunday morning and sitting back and enjoying a service, it meant actually using gifts that they had never used before, getting stuck in. There's no room there for, for passengers. That doesn't mean there haven't been mistakes along the way. You know, there always are when you venture out into new areas. But God is more interested in us stepping out in faith than the mistakes that we make along the way. He's more interested in us to trying new things than being perfectionists in the areas in which we are already comfortable. And the only way that this church or any church will grow in numbers and in maturity is if we step out of our comfort zones because that is when we trust in God and not in ourselves. And you can apply that to Cornerstone, you can apply it to the building project, you can apply it to the Square Mile series we've been looking at recently. You can apply it to a mission that we're thinking about doing next uh, Easter. Following Jesus means leaving behind our comfort zones. Well, the third point I want to make, the final point, is leaving behind anything that stops us worshipping the one true God. Over the last uh, four weeks at Cornerstone, before the service, we've been running sessions on Bible reading skills and uh, one of the skills we've been looking at there is the uh, importance of context when we read any passage 
the immediate context of the, the verse, the, the, the context of the, uh, the, the section in the, the, in the book of the Bible, and the context of the book in, in the Bible as, as a whole. And if that's something that you'd be interested in doing yourselves, and, and have, a, have a word with me. But if we look at the, the context of this passage here this morning, that also helps us to understand another aspect of leaving behind. Because if we look back to the beginning of chapter 4, where we see Jesus just starting his ministry, and that's marked by his baptism. The first thing that happens after his baptism, that he is tempted by the devil. He's tempted by the devil 40 days and 40 nights. First thing the devil tempts him with is uh, putting his physical comfort before his spiritual comfort, turning the stones into bread. He then tempts him to put God to the test. And finally, he tempts him in verse 10, well, verse 9, with power and wealth, which are the verses I read out at the beginning of the service. And Jesus' response there in verse 10, are away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then begin, Jesus begins to preach, it says in the next few verses, And in the verse immediately preceding this passage, it says in verse 17, Repent, Jesus says. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And what that repentance is, it's also a turning away from, it's a leaving behind your previous life. Turning towards God. It's a change in direction without looking back to what you're leaving behind. Leaving behind everything that the devil tries to put in the way between us and God. Leaving behind the feeling that um, everything revolves around us. That uh, the most important thing is ensuring our happiness. Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Leave behind anything that prevents us from becoming more like him. There's a lot more we could say on that, but we haven't got time this morning. We don't just leave behind stuff when we become Christians. We are constantly having to to throw off that baggage, that stuff that gets in the way of us and him. And we need to be honest about those areas where where that, that is true for us. We need to ask God to point that out to us and be willing to make that change. That's why we need to be open as well to other Christians, you know, pointing these mistakes out to us, to, to rebuke us. Um, let's not hide behind our pride when we are rebuked in a loving and kind way. Well, as I uh, come to a conclusion here, the response of these four fishermen to Jesus' calling was, was immediate. But it took a long time for them to become mature disciples it started with decisive action, a decision to leave behind their previous life and live for God. And you may have come here this morning without maybe having come to any of the other sermons on, on why did Jesus come. And you may still be asking that question, well, why leave all this stuff behind to follow Jesus? What, why, why bother? And when the disciples responded to Jesus' call, they didn't ask him, you know, what's in it for me? Why should I do that? They simply recognised his authority. They recognised him as a king, a true king, 
and one worth following. It was actually only later on in Matthew 19 where there was an incident with the rich young man and um, somebody who came up to Jesus and asked him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And after all, he's led a, a, a seemingly perfect life on the, on the outward side. And what Jesus points out to that young man is, actually your God is still your money. You haven't given up everything to follow me. Your God is still your money. And after, after that, that man goes, Peter, listening to all this, he asks Jesus, and this is in chapter 19, verse 27, I think it's coming up on the screen. Peter asks him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Notice this is after he's already decided to follow Jesus, but he's, he's just curious. He says, what will there be for us? And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, that the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. What Jesus promises is not just eternal life, but a life that is a hundred times richer in many different ways than the life without Jesus. I hope that you will experience that for yourself. The new world order that Jesus is coming back to establish will be very different from the one we're in at the moment. It will be one where there is honesty, where there is sharing, where there is love, there is peace, there is good health, there is beauty. And Jesus wants us to prepare ourselves for that now and not waste our lives with our old ways. And so let me just leave you with the question, if you have already decided to follow Jesus, is there something you still need to leave behind? Is it your independent spirit? Is it your comfort zone? Or is it something that is stopping you worship God with all your life? It's a question we need to ask ourselves as we come now before the Lord's table. Let's pray and then we'll sing.